1: Think Radio. This is the original Southern Remedy where the doctors are always in. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, Professor of Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Medical Center and welcoming you to another live version of Open Mic. That's right. Anything you want to ask about or talk about medical wise, we'd love to do that with you. we are seven seven mpb MPB-RING, 1-877-672- 7464- and our lines are open for your call. You can also send us an email at Southernremedy at mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy and we'll be right back after the news.) <music>
2: Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. The Pentagon has ordered the National Guard to stop clawing back bonuses incorrectly paid during the Iraq war. Defense Secretary Ash Carter is ending the repayments after an explosion of outrage. NPR's Philip Ewing has the latest.
3: Bureaucratic errors and fraud caused the Guard to pay more bonuses than intended as it tried to get soldiers to stay in the service during the Iraq war. When the California National Guard discovered what it considered these mistakes, it began demanding that former soldiers pay them back. Carter and the Obama administration were deeply embarrassed by a report on the practice that broke in the Los Angeles Times. Members of Congress, led by California lawmakers, piled on and pressed for Carter to stop the recollections. Carter said he has ordered the Pentagon to conduct a review about what to do next. One big question is how to handle cases in which former troops have already repaid their bonuses, in some cases tens of thousands of dollars. Veterans advocates say that Congress should make sure they get that money back. Philip Ewing, NPR News, Washington.
2: After spending years rejecting United Nations' attempts to end a more than half-century-old U.S. embargo on Cuba, the United States envoy, Samantha Power, has reversed course on behalf of the Obama administration. The United States has always voted against this resolution. Today, the United States will abstain. Such resolutions are non-binding, but the U.S.'s abstention is symbolically significant as the Obama administration pushes forward with full restoration of diplomatic relations with Cuba, a Cold War-era rival. However, only the U.S. Congress can lift the full embargo, and the GOP majority is still opposed to doing that. Last year, the U.N. resolution was adopted by the 193-member General Assembly. 191 members voted in favor. At the time, though, the U.S. voted against it, so did Israel. Separately, GOP nominee Donald Trump is scheduled to speak by video to supporters in Jerusalem today. Here's NPR's Lauren Frayer.
0: A group called Republicans Overseas Israel has organized today's event, calling it an exclusive message to Israel and its supporters. The group says Donald Trump and his running mate Mike Pence will speak by video to a closed event at a restaurant on Mount Zion overlooking Jerusalem's Old City walls. Hundreds of thousands of U.S. citizens live in Israel and cast absentee ballots. The video appearance comes amid documented instances of anti-Semitism among Trump supporters, particularly aimed at Jewish journalists. Interviewed on Israeli TV, a Trump advisor denied Trump supporters are anti-Semitic. Lauren Fryer, NPR News, Jerusalem.
2: The Clinton campaign says the Democratic nominee is restricting the role's lobbyists play in a White House transition. Hillary Clinton is also barring them from donating money to the effort and preventing them from lobbying while they work on her team. Clinton is mirroring President Obama's actions when he won in 2008. You're listening to NPR News. A longtime writer and producer for The Simpsons has died. Kevin Curran was 59 years old, and PR's Rose Friedman reports that he had a lifelong love of comedy.
4: Kevin Curran already had a successful career when he came to The Simpsons. He'd won three consecutive Emmy Awards for Late Night with David Letterman, he'd been a writer for the series Married with Children, and he was an editor of the Harvard Lampoon in college. But it was for his 17 years on The Simpsons that he'll be remembered. In particular, a Treehouse of Horror episode that Curran wrote where the Simpson family spends time at a mysterious vacation resort. Homie, something very creepy is going on here.
5: You mean they're going to try to sell us timeshares?
4: Where it turns out the guests are being morphed into animals. So how
6: do you like being
4: a walrus, Dad? It's great. I haven't been this skinny since high school. In Kern's time on the show, it won three Emmy Awards and was nominated for many more. Rose Friedman, NPR News.
2: A former aide to New Jersey Governor Chris Christie is testifying for a fourth day in her trial over the George Washington Bridge lane closures that the prosecution says were politically motivated. Bridget Kelly denies that she conspired to cause gridlock on the George Washington Bridge to punish a Democratic mayor who did not endorse Christie's 2013 reelection. Yesterday, Kelly testified that an email she sent saying time for some traffic problems referred to a traffic study and nothing more. She and Bill Browdy, the former executive for the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, each face nine criminal counts. U.S. stocks are mixed, with the Dow up 46, S&P 500 off a fraction, NASDAQ's off 15 points. This is NPR News. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include Visiting Angels,
0: professional caregivers assisting adults at home in bathing, dressing, meals, and light housework
4: nationwide. Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. Learn more at
0: 1-800-365-4189. I'm Terry Gross. Listen to Fresh Air weekdays at 3 on MPB Think Radio.
3: You're listening to Southern Remedy with Dr. Rick DeShazo on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at one mpb ring That's one 672 7464 you can always email your comments and questions to Southern Remedy at MPBOnline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting.
1: Hello and welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, a professor of medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and it's just lonesome me and you here today. It's all things considered. Whatever you want to talk about medically speaking, we would love to talk to you and try to provide <clears throat> any information or assistance we can. Our lines are open. We're at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's get started. Give us your call. We have two lines open. Let's go to Paul in Tennessee. Hey, Paul.
7: I enjoy your show. Never called in. I wanted to ask a quick question,
8: then I'll hang up and listen. All righty. I was, I was uh, doing the normal blood work, and uh, it said my triglycerides were borderline high. So what natural remedy is there? Is Does that mean I cut out sugar? Uh, okay.
1: Okay. Uh... Uh, Paul, you cut out well, on hang your hang up
8: and listen. Okay, good. We
1: Thank got you, you very much. We got you, Paul. The uh, you can divide up the fat particles in your blood by size, and the size sizes and types that seem to be the most important are the cholesterol um, ones. Triglycerides are different from cholesterol. You know, there's good cholesterol. It acts like Drano and cleans out your blood vessels, takes away the bad fat that gets deposited there. Then there's the bad cholesterol, LDL, that is a measure of how much uh, bad cholesterol is circulating around in your body and is a big risk factor for coronary artery disease, heart attacks, strokes, and the like. Triglycerides are fat- uh, 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 are, are particular glycoproteins proteins in your blood that transport fat particles uh, f- uh, throughout the body where they are processed it's pri- they're primarily made in the liver and your triglycerides reflect how well your liver is working in handling glucose transport because the the way that you get fat out of your blood is you make sugar out of it or you store it in your liver. <clears throat> so the most common cause of elevated triglycerides is people not having a fasting blood sample. So if you go in and you're not fasting, you've got all that transport of fat uh, going on from your latest meal, and it goofs up the determination. So if you were had a elevated fasting uh, triglycerides, that means that your risk for diabetes is significantly increased because your insulin is not handling the fat transport correctly and there there are some things that we don't really treat triglycerides unless they get into the thousands so when they get up that high they cause um they can cause acute pancreatitis and we will, there are some medicines that are fairly good at uh treating those Uh, in that level but we don't usually treat them Uh, most people who have elevated triglycerides unless they have an inherited form or overweight and the way that we treat uh, that is to get them to lose weight and i'm sure you didn't want to hear about that but we'll be happy to give you some more information about triglycerides if you send us an email at southern remedy at org and explain that but triglycerides are best treated by limiting fat intake, although that's not very effective, but more effective by losing weight and improving your glucose tolerance. And that is that story. It's all things considered on Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, professor of medicine and pediatrics. We can talk about whatever you want to talk about and just give us a call. We're at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four 672 7464 or one 877 seven, seven MPB ring at your service. Looking forward to talking uh, to you this morning. Let's go to Gladys and Jackson. Hey, Gladys.
4: Oh, good morning. Can you hear me?
1: Oh, just like you are next door.
4: Good. Uh, I've come across a new procedure that I've heard about. Uh, has to do with the regulation of the heartbeat. Yes, ma'am. Uh, if your heartbeat. Uh, showing up on a test that they're too far apart and in other words I guess not often enough uh, they shock you with some way do they put you out do they knock the heart out and restart it or what have you or have you even heard about this
3: oh yeah
1: oh yeah let's talk a little bit about arrhythmias that means a heart rate that is not right you may have extra beats or lost beats, and the shocking is done in for the most part in people who have atrial fibrillation. Those are people whose rates may be very fast, or sometimes slow, depending on what's going on. And the the atrium, the little sac where the blood comes back uh, from the body, uh, is connected to the ventricle. And when the atrium gets full it triggers a res- electrical current, and it makes the ventricle beat to push that blood forward. So there's a connection between what's going on in the atrium and what's going on in the ventricle via a wiring circuit. It's a feedback circuit, just like with any other uh, appliance. And uh, so if that starts going very fast, you can sometimes shock it back into a regular rhythm, and that's called cardioversion. Uh, there are lots of other ways to control uh, uh heart beat problems, and this whole field has totally changed over the last fifteen years. We now have what are called cardiac electrophysiologists and these people can actually stick a catheter into your heart and trace the electrical circuits that make your heart beat and find out which ones are goofed up and which ones aren't. I had that done myself about twenty years ago when this technique first came out, I inherited an abnormal pathway from my mother who had the same problem, and my heart would start beating very, very fast, <clears throat> especially when I exercised, which was a problem because I liked to exercise, and they basically put this put me to sleep uh and uh in and, and not like with intubation they call it conscious sedation. And ran this catheter up, mapped out, found out where this extra circuit was, and electrocuted it so that's another way that uh you can have things electrocuted is uh in a uh in one of those studies, which are done by cardiac electrophysiologists It's called an e p electrophysiology study, so now there are a don't lot of
6: absolutely these. stop the heart
1: oh no ma'am okay. no ma'am you
4: it's
1: pretty safe uh it's uh it's a lot safer than uh, having these kinds of problems by yourself Uh if they get into trouble during the procedure you've got one or two cardiologists and a complete uh, uh, apparatus there to fix the problem so I would say it's a lot safer than suffering from the arrhythmia or having to take anticoagulants or other medicines if it can be fixed a lot of atrial fibrillation now can be fixed with electrophysiology, and you don't even have to have all that stuff going on. Is that helpful? Okay. Why don't you find out what kind of arrhythmia you have? What is your problem? Whether it's Brady syndrome, whether it's atrial fibrillation or atrial flutter, and One send. Thing I
6: heard was fibrillation.
1: Uh, atrial fibrillation. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, that's if you send exactly me an email, I
6: remember hearing.
1: Well, that's 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 probably what it was. If you will send me an email at uh, Southern Remedy at org, I've got a patient information sheet on atrial fibrillation. I'll be happy to give you. that has a lot of good info in there, okay? Thanks. Good to hear from you, and thanks for your call. Mm,
3: bye-bye.
1: Let's go to Billy in Flowood. Hey, Billy.
5: Hey, Dr. Rick. You do a great job and serve a lot of people like me and the community, and we appreciate
1: you. Well, you're very kind. I'll take any kind of stroke I can get, and that was a good one. I appreciate it. <laughs>
5: Yes, sir. Well,
7: I'm over sixty, and I've got a crick in my back because I do a lot of bending.
6: Mm-hmm.
7: And does CopperFit work, or is there a back brace that you could recommend?
1: I, I forgot. I got the back brace. What was the other thing you asked
5: about? Well, CopperFit.
1: Oh, CopperFit. Okay. <clears throat> the, uh, the the there are many reasons that you can have low back pain. Uh, that you can have low back pain because you have a muscle problem. The muscles in your back are weak, and when you go out and do something, they get strained. So those are back strains. You can have discogenic pain. That means one of the discs between the vertebrae is popped out and impinging uh, on uh, a nerve. Or you can actually have uh, osteoarthritis with overgrowth And one of those extra pieces of bone growing uh, can also cause problems. The major approach to, non-surgical approach to people with low back pain is to strengthen the back muscles and stabilize the back so that it doesn't wiggle. And all that entrapment of those electric cords coming out from your spinal cord through your vertebra, vertebral space there, intervertebral space uh, doesn't get snapped just like your cable line. If you put, uh, if you put a lot of weight on your cable line, you'll bend it and it doesn't, it doesn't conduct appropriately. In this case, you would get pain. So, um, a lot of doctors don't like braces. Uh, I love them. I wear a brace. I'm a gardener. I wear a brace uh, that I get at a big box store. I don't order it online Uh, I like the the braces that have two pulls on there. They're black, and you, you pull. It's got Velcro, and you pull it together, and then there's a second pull over the top of it. They're a little bit more expensive than the cheapies, but they're well worth it, and they cost $40 or something like that. So I think those are great. I don't think the copper does a thing except run the price up. I wouldn't waste my money on it. There are people who wear copper in their nose, ears, throat, uh, toenails, and everywhere else and think it helps their arthritis. The studies do not support that, so you don't need a copper, more expensive uh, back brace, just the kind you would get at a big-box store or your drugstore. But the most important thing you can do is back-strengthening exercises, and the best way to learn those is to go to a physical therapist, and your insurance will cover that they will teach you how to do those and also teach you how not to strain your back when you pick up things, because we tend to bend over to pick up stuff and that's not the way you do it. You squat and pull up. So, uh, I'm, I'm a big supporter of back braces, but you don't want to wear them all the time because then that weakens your muscles because you're not moving your back at all. Is that helpful?
5: Uh, Perfect. Thank you very much. I knew you'd come through for me. All
1: right. Well, thank you so much for your call. We've got lines open. It's all things considered. I'm Doctor Rick. It's Southern Remedy. We're at one eight seven seven MPB ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. There is no topic today. The only topic we have is your topic. So if you want to give us a call about whatever's bothering you, or you just want to uh, <clears throat> give us a health tip, we're happy to to hear those today. Uh, at one eight seven seven mpb ring or send us an email and we have an email here uh, that I don't want to uh, not get to. I'm new in the Jackson area and have a small growth on my forehead. Out of the five dermatologists recommended only one takes insurance and they aren't taking any new patients. Can you please provide a doctor that accepts insurance and new patients? Thanks. Well, dermatology, uh, in general is cash on the barrel head. Uh, you can do that when there are so few of you that, uh, there are more people wanting to get in than you can take care of. I don't have that, uh, choice myself working for the university because we take all comers. Um, and, uh, what I would suggest that you do is actually call the university, we have a huge dermatology group now, and they also, for people who don't have insurance, have a, uh, a way for people to get with financial counselors and work something out. So I know the university will do it um, uh, for something like a growth that you don't want to just sit on. Uh, I wouldn't wait forever to have that looked at. So I would, I would give the university a call. Now, there are also some uh, new dermatologists that are moving into the area, and you may want to Google a dermatologist in the Jackson area and see if you can find one that's not so busy. That's another way you might get in quickly and, and get some help with financing your visit. So those are my ideas, and I hope they're helpful, Camille, and thank you so much for your uh, email. We'll take other emails if you send them to us at southernremedy at mpbonline.org. Let's go to Brandon and Patricia. Hey, Patricia.
0: Hi, Dr. Rick, and thank you for uh, letting me call.
1: Well, thanks for your call. What's on your mind?
0: Okay. I have resorted to using an old-time remedy for my arthritis. I was taking quite a bit of acetaminophen and was afraid that I was going to damage my liver. Yes, ma'am I uh, hadn't yet, but so anyway, I uh, started uh, rubbing my hip with turpentine because mm. I was told that that's what the old folks used to do, and by golly, it really does help now, whether it's mental or not, I don't know, but I sure don't have to use any acetaminophen.
1: well, if it my works, I will go really with it it
0: is. Uh, what kind of damage is the turpentine going to
1: do? Well, let me tell you what turpentine, uh, I, nobody really knows what how that works, but most of us who are rheumatologists think that turpentine is what's called a counter-irritant. Uh, it, it basically causes an area of superficial inflammation in the skin over the place where you're having the pain and confuses the nerve fibers. We're just now uh, learning, Miss Patricia, that, that, and you know this from your own arthritis, I'm sure, that uh, once you start hurting, it's very easy to have that amplified. So you start with one joint, it hurts, you have another joint, you have another joint, and it builds and it feeds on itself. There are pain circuits uh, in our body that go straight to our brain, And uh, then not only is our spinal cord receiving pain messages, but our brain up top gets them, and then we really can't even think we're in so much pain. So counter-irritants like turpentine, I actually prefer capsaicin better because it's a little bit easier to control. Capsaicin is the same stuff in Zostrix. It's red pepper. Uh, Red pepper, if you know, if you put that in your mouth, your mouth gets numb red pepper right. red pepper uh releases a chemical called substance p p uh from your ner- from the nerves and, and it's a pain transmitter and is very very effective uh in uh depleting pain uh, sensors so if the turpentine ter- is working i bet the substance p would work even better and it comes in a roll on like a roll on detergent and you can just roll it around on the area that hurts. Now, if you get that on your fingers and you stick it in your eye or in your private parts, you'll run a race uh, through the neighborhood because you'll be burning on fire. You got to be really careful when you use that stuff. When I first started yes, using right.
0: huh? it, are, are there different strengths? Yes, ma'am. I- my capsaicin
1: and it burned me up okay so the you the first dose first of all you start with the weakest one and there are about five strengths and number two you only use it on a little teeny weeny spot where you can see what effect you're going to get so you probably were using too much it doesn't take you know just think how much of a bite down on a pepper how much a piece of pepper it takes to numb your whole body up um, and so that's an option. But as long as you're not having a lot of redness and swelling where you're using the turpentine, I think it's it's probably okay. You're not drinking okay. it. It's topical and it's volatile. Uh, just don't get around too many painters. They might, might try to make love with you or something, okay?
0: <laughs> Thank you so much. All right.
1: Good to talk to you. Uh, you. Let's go to It's All Things Considered on Southern Remedy. Uh, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo. We're at one eight seven seven MPB 1-877-672-7464. one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to Bob, south of Batesville. Bob, are you in, on the road?
7: Yes, I can hear you. Can you hear me okay?
1: Yes, sir. What's going on?
7: Okay, you kind of cut out on me there, but you, I can hear you now. I'll do Hi. better. Okay. When I was twelve years old, I, I had a horse. I lifted a hundred pound sack of horse feed from one step below me to my right shoulder. I felt a give in my lower right back. It's been fine all my life. I'm 56 years old now. I even went through the military with it. But now that I'm getting older, it's starting to bother me. And I suspect it's the sacroiliac joint. I have used a belt specifically designed for that, which applies pressure to the pelvis. And it seems to, you know, it's just very uncomfortable. This seems to help a little bit am i diagnosing myself correctly or could it be something else uh what is your what are your thoughts doctor
3: okay
1: so uh the sacroiliac uh joint connects the sacrum with the ilium which are pelvic bones your your pelvis has several different bones in it and that particular joint for some reason or other uh has a several diseases associated with it one of the ones that is Uh, the one that I see as a rheumatologist most commonly, uh, are in men who come in all bent over, uh, because they have a disease called ankylosing spondylitis that usually runs in families and they have tremendous aching and stiffness in their low back over the sacroiliac joint that is bilateral, usually not unilateral, um, the sacroiliac joint, when injured, usually becomes osteoarthritic and, and basically just fuses up with calcium. So if you injured that uh, several years ago, it should be concreted, and you should not be having any trouble with it. I think there's something go- else going on in your back. You may have some osteoarthritis around the area you injured it. You may have something else going on, and because this is chronic, I would definitely see my at least my family medicine doctor or internist uh, and ask him to take a look at that, do a neurological examination, check your reflexes and so forth, make sure you don't have any neural entrapment and get uh, an SI joint film and a lumbosacral spine x-ray just to make sure there isn't something else going on there. I, I think this is not going to get any better. Uh, and I think you probably ought to go ahead and figure out for sure what it is while you'll know how to treat it a little bit better. Bob, is that what you needed?
7: Yeah, you're kind of breaking up on me a little bit, but I think I heard everything. One thing it does when it acts up, it kind of feels like a flip-flop.
1: That's uh-huh. the best
7: way I can describe it.
1: Well, there are two or three different problems, some of which involve the femur of the hip, that do that, and a sacroiliac problem. So I I think that requires an X-ray to figure out exactly what's going on, Bob. And uh, if you missed uh, all the details of what I just said, we replay on Sunday morning, uh, and guess what time? It's real early, uh, and uh, we'll uh, we'll give you a chance to hear that 6 a.m. Sunday wake-up call. We'll replay your, your call.
3: And so it'll be online later today as well.
1: And that was our producer who says it'll be online later today as well. So there you go. Thanks for your call, and uh, go for that SI joint. Let's go to Scott in Memphis. Scott, what's going on
3: with you? Uh,
5: hey, Doctor. Yeah, I uh, just had a question. I wanted your opinion on Sure. Uh, I've, got a, uh, I've got a low platelet count yes. that uh, is uh, uh, due to an enlarged spleen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am going to a, a hematologist currently, and basically, uh, he wants me to, to have spleen out. Uh-huh. Uh, um, it's the range of the platelet count's been between uh, uh, mid-50s up to the 70s. Mm-hmm. and uh, So I'm just trying to, uh, I thought about getting a second opinion on it. I, I have had uh, uh, everything uh, ultrasound and around that area. That's when they determined that I had the, the enlarged spleen, and I guess that impedes the flow of platelets.
1: Have uh, you had any bleeding?
5: Uh, I have bruising.
1: Uh-huh.
5: And uh, uh,
1: Did he do a I bone did, marrow uh, exam or just told you you had idiopathic thrombocytopenic?
5: Pulpo- yeah. A, uh, ITP? yeah it was uh it was just due to they, they couldn't determine I've had, I've had multiple blood tests and, uh-huh. uh, my white and my red are fine and everything but uh uh for whatever reason it's he doesn't think it's cancer or anything it just is uh enlarged spleen for whatever reason
1: okay so let, me, let me let me let uh let me uh, try to give you a little bit of information and again if you'll send me an email i'll be happy to send you some more i think the first point is is that any anytime you're going to have surgery like that um uh it is perfectly legitimate for you to get a second opinion if that's bothering you uh and you're not sure you're not convinced then a second opinion is always a good idea so that's point one point two um Uh, I don't know exactly what kind of workup he has done. The most common cause of this problem is a problem called ITP, where you make antibodies to your own platelets and they get gobbled up and they get gobbled up in your spleen and your spleen can enlarge. It's an autoimmune disease. It occurs frequently after, uh, most frequently after a viral infection. You may not even know you had it and uh, the immune system gets confused and makes antibodies against your platelets. And normally, the spleen takes out used-up platelets and eats them up and spits them out uh, into the blood and recycles the protein. So the the spleen is the way we get rid of platelets because we use them up. They don't live very long, uh, a day or two anyway. We're making them constantly. And so when the spleen... Uh, has gets morbidly obese uh, from eating up all the platelets that you're breaking up because they're not right uh, it enlarges and frequently all you have to do is take the spleen out and that gets rid of the problem so it's a lot easier than taking prednisone or other things so what he is telling you is not unusual Uh, but again if you're not convinced or you're not getting the information you need uh, then you ought to get a second opinion. Another option you can do is just make an appointment with him just to talk and ask him to provide you some patient information about this where you'll have a little bit more assurance uh, uh, on it. And I'll be happy to send you a patient information sheet as well. So, no, Scott, I don't think this is anything wacky, uh, but I, I'm concerned that you're concerned, so I would I would follow through with a little bit more homework You've only got one spleen, and you only got one life, and you want to make sure that you take care of both of them. And I hope that's helpful. We've got lines open. We're at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four one eight seven seven MPB ring, and we're taking uh, emails at southernremedy at Online dot org. I'm Dr. Rick, professor of medicine and pediatrics and i'll talk about just anything if i don't know the right answer i'll tell you i don't know it so give us a call we'd love to talk to you we have a few more minutes in the program and we'd like to get to your question let's go to genie in bay springs hey Jeannie. hey what's happening
6: i enjoy your show um thank you i got a question about blood uh donating blood i'm 66 i'm in good health i'm really active and in good health but I donated blood about ten fifteen years ago, and it made me really tired for like a month I, well it was I wasn't sure if it was my imagination or it really did and so I was asked to donate blood recently, and um I didn't know which way to go with that. I was debating I used to donate blood I don't have a problem with it as far as doing it. i just i'm sixty six and you know I just wondered what the deal was with that
1: okay, well, from my side of the street uh working in an academic health center with a trauma center i'm not going to say anything uh about giving blood other than god bless you you know that we are so dependent on blood and blood products that if you're able to give it it is a blessing to so many people you don't even know how many people it helps because what they do is they take your blood and they separate it into all these different parts They take out the red blood cells and put them in one bag. They take out the platelets and put them in another bag. They take out the serum and put them in another bag. And then they use them for people who have these various problems. If you're anemic and have to have a blood transfusion, they just give you the uh, red cells. If your platelets are low and you've got to have surgery, they give you the platelets. Uh, If you don't have any antibodies, they use the plasma. To make antibodies that could be infused for people who don't have antibodies. So it is such a wonderful gift. and I, one of the things I don't think we do well is thank blood donors enough for uh, their service. So uh, but, we, but there are exclusions, and one of the th- exclusions is what your own uh, whether or not you're anemic. about the only people that I know that have problems with blood donation, Uh, afterwards are anemic and they're very sensitive. They screen them to make sure you're not too anemic, but there are cutoffs. So what I think I would do, if you really feel good about being a blood donor, then I think uh, you should go in and talk to them about this and uh, maybe they can do your blood count before you go in and you can have a discussion about your problems and they ought to be able to give you some guidelines but if you if you're having uh, untoward circumstances or symptoms after you give blood, uh, um, you know, ration tells you don't do it. So if it makes you not feel well, don't feel bad about doing it. You did your best. You tried, and that's the best you can do. So that would be that would be what I would think of, and I hope that's helpful.
6: What uh, about taking a baby aspirin? No, for years I've been taking a baby aspirin. Would that have any effects on donating blood?
1: Uh, well, they usually don't like you on aspirin when you take blood, uh, give blood, but they will take it. Yeah. So, no, I don't think that would have anything to do with it.
6: And is there an age cutoff where they don't want your blood any longer?
1: Uh, well, if there is, there shouldn't be because <laughs> we have some ninety-year-old people that are healthier okay. than twenty-year-olds. Uh, yeah, they usually they usually cut off, but I usually lie about my age and give it anyway. Hope that uh, helps. Good to talk to you and uh, uh, keep giving that blood. Let's go to Peter in South Haven. Hey, Peter.
8: Dr. Rick, I love your show.
1: Thank you, and thank you for your call.
8: Thank you. I have a question for my wife. Yes. In the last four to six months, she has been diagnosed with the Epstein-Barr virus, and she is on medication from her doctor, Mm -hmm. but I was wondering... Is there anything that she can do? Have you got some advice that she can do to help? Sure. Um, did she have mono... It's a virus and it makes her sleep uh, yeah. a lot of the time.
1: Yeah, did she have mononucleosis? Is that what when, they, they. When
8: she was a child, she
5: did.
1: Uh huh. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about this. <clears throat> Epstein Barr virus, just about everybody is infected with this. If you look at the antibody test in adults, Uh, about 80% of people will be Epstein-Barr virus antibody positive. So we're all exposed to this uh, anyway. For some reason, some people who have Epstein-Barr early in life, the so-called kissing disease, uh, which is called mononucleosis, get a very fulminant infection and get lymph nodes that get enlarged and big tonsils and get fever and are fatigued for months and months and months. And I actually had that when I was in the sixth grade and almost didn't finish the sixth grade because I was so sick with it. So um, that that is mononucleosis. There are a lot of people who develop uh, illnesses, viral illnesses, that are attributed to Epstein-Barr that are not Epstein-Barr. And the way that you tell the difference is... Well, the only way that you can diagnose an acute Epstein-Barr virus infection is to have an IgM antibody or a PCR test for the actual virus in the blood. So if uh, your doctor did not get an IgM Epstein-Barr or a PCR test looking for the actual virus, that diagnosis cannot be made there are a lot of people saying that folks have chronic ebv virus infection that i see in consultation that don't that have something else and so if she's not doing well uh and he did not or she did not get those tests or you're not certain i would ask your doctor for a referral to an infectious disease specialist for some additional consultation Because most Epstein-Barr virus infections and reinfections are very short-lived. They don't last weeks and just knock you down. Is that helpful?
8: That is helpful. She did have a blood test, but I'm not sure um, the name or the nature of the blood test, where um, the score had to be below a 17, Uh I believe, Uh and it came back. It was over 500,
1: yeah, well, that the,
8: the
1: the level of IgG antibody to Epstein Var goes up and down because we're constantly exposed to it, and uh, the IgG seems to be partially protective against it, but something's going on here, and I'm not really sure, certain what it is. So um, I think you ought to have a, a, a more uh, advanced conversation. Make a make an appointment with the uh, with the doctor to go in with him, uh, to see him or her and see whether they, this was just an IgG, uh, or, uh, an IgM uh, or, and if you will send me an email, I'll, I'll, I have a patient information sheet I can give you with all this stuff in it where it'll help straighten it out. It's sort of hard to explain all the details uh, okay. over the radio, but I'd, I would really like, you, you to have that information just
8: well,
1: that uh southern, southern remedy about. at mpbonline.org and i hope she's a lot better soon peter thank you for your call we have uh, some lines open and another uh 10 minutes or so to take your call we're at one eight seven seven mpb ring one it's just lonely me and our producer jay white uh, and our call screener, I'm not sure or she, sure who that is today. I see, I think I see somebody. Um, and uh, we, uh, we are sitting here waiting for your call, and we have some lines open. So if there's something you want to know about, you got a chance to get it. Just give us a call. We're at one let us go to uh, Jackson and Rogers. Hey, did I get your name right?
8: Rogers, yes. How do you do? How are you?
1: I'm doing good. What's going on?
8: Well, about 20 years ago, I started having uh, my right wrist swelling several times a year. I finally went to a rheumatologist, and he diagnosed me with reactive arthritis. Mm-hmm. Uh, three years ago, I got swelling in my right foot. Then he started calling it gout.
6: Mm-hmm.
8: So he moved away, and I had to go to another rheumatologist in Vicksburg. Uh, I guess one question I have is, how long does a, typically a gout attack last? Because these are the last six to eight weeks.
1: Yeah. So what happens? Does it just come out of nowhere and hit you, or does it cr- crank up? Yeah, it up? just
8: comes, comes out of nowhere.
5: Uh-huh.
8: This a rheumatologist put me on the Uloric back in June, uh, checked my uric acid levels, and I went back. Of course, I, I had a flare-up when I went back, and the original rheumatologist told me there's no point checking the uric acid when it's it up because it'll give you wrong readings uh but it doesn't seem like uric, uric acid is helping because i've
1: got to clear up now it's been five weeks yeah it's uh let's talk a little bit about gout um and reactive arthritis uh gout is a condition where you make too much uric acid uric acid is a metabolic byproduct of certain foods but you can not even eat those foods and and make too much of it. Uh, It's a genetic um, uh, disease passed down from one family to the other, and you will be pleased to know that studies in England show that people who have gout are smarter than those who don't have gout. So most people who have gout uh, are really smart people. You can tell everybody that, especially your wife if you're married. And yeah, I am. okay, good. Well tell her that you're very bright and and but you will take out the garbage. So so uh the uric acid is elevated, no fault of your own, it's genetic. And the way that we uh and that stuff crystallizes in your joints when your levels get real high and sets up uh like a boil in your joint and it happens bang, just like that. Uh, sometimes a glass of wine will set it off uh, just uh, or a viral infection or anything it uh, typically affects your big toe but it can affect your wrist your especially bad in your feet uh, ankles and other places and if your uric acid is very high you get deposits of it in your earlobe those are called TOFI and you can feel those uh, things in there you don't want that, that's bad the only people that I know that have gout that stays active for weeks are people who have TOFI. Those are those lumps in your ears and some other places on your extensor surfaces of your arms. Most other gout attacks are very short-lived. And they should be short-lived because you should have some colchicine uh, to use to take for an acute attack. The treatment is maintenance with a uh, uh, a acid. Acid lowering agent like allopurinol or euloric, uh, and then rescue with colchicine or some other medicines, but colchicine is the one we usually use. So,
8: colchicine upsets my
1: stomach. Well, you can use a non steroidal or even prednisone for rescue if you have to. Isn't you know, I've it?
8: used that in the past and it works, but this time it doesn't seem to be working.
1: I'm just telling you, something's broken here. This doesn't make any sense. Uh, I don't know whether you have two conditions or one condition. Uh, it's very simple to stick a little bitty teeny needle into that joint that's inflamed, draw out some fluid, and look for crystals, uric acid crystals, and that will tell you what kind of arthritis you got on, whether it's reactive arthritis or gout, because the the white blood cell counts are astronomical in gout. And it's and the crystals are very diagnostic. So you need to go back to your rheumatologist and tell him that you're having persistent symptoms and tell him that you wouldn't mind having your joint tapped to find out what's going on because you are correct. This doesn't make any sense. I hope that's helpful. We'll be right back after this break. We're going to Alabama, Port Gibson, Jackson, and Hattiesburg. We'll be right back.
3: Support for MPB comes from the Pediatric and Congenital Heart Center of Alabama at Children's of Alabama, a cardiovascular care center for children in Birmingham, Alabama. More at children'sal.org/slash/heart. There's another, They're coming uh, in. There's another one. I
2: the... On Mississippi Edition, you'll hear in-depth discussions on the issues that matter to you. we will bring you important news about the state's always changing political climate. You'll hear from community leaders and others working to make a difference. And of course, there'll be stories from the real lives of real Mississippians. So check us out. We're online at mpbonline.org or on the air every weekday morning at 830 right here on MPB. Think Radio. Boo!
3: <laughs> You're listening to Southern Remedy with Dr. Rick DeShazo on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to Remedy at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting.
1: We're back. at Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Rick. It's All Things Considered, and we're taking your calls just as quick as we can get to them, and we'll get to yours in just a minute. So here's an email from um, Frank, um, and uh, it's uh, wondering what I should do about this. I have an earlobe crease, but my lipid panel is good. Triglyceride 68, cholesterol 180, HDL 80, LDL 86. Those are all good numbers. I'm 58, not overweight, exercise, do yoga often. Thanks, MR. Uh, uh, so just because you have a crease in your ear doesn't mean that you always are going to have a heart attack. Your lipids are fantastic mo. You're not overweight. You're doing good stuff. Stay with it and don't worry about your ears. Just be glad you still got them. Some people got them bit off in the past. Uh, Here's another interesting uh, uh, email. I know a boy who is almost 12 years old. He has always had a high voice in comparison to other boys his age. His voice is unusually high. I'm wondering what can be done. What causes this? Will it change? What if it doesn't? I heard there's a simple operation that can tighten up your vocal cords. His mother talked to a primary care doctor, and he wasn't concerned. I'm related and concerned for this child. He doesn't seem to be aware of this issue, and I don't know. How can I convince his mother to seek a second opinion? Well, uh, maybe he's a tenor, and maybe he ought to be getting vocal lessons, and those tenors that can sing way up there, they, they make a lot of money and have a lot of fun uh the only thing that i would do uh for him was to make sure that his testes are developed the thing that uh, causes voice changes uh in a young men, and he's only 12 is uh that the testes start making uh the male hormone testosterone and sometimes there's a little delay on that in kids who've had mumps sometimes their testes don't develop right and they have very small testes and need some testosterone stimulation. You didn't say he was short. Most of these kids are short and have very high voices. So here's the problem. Uh, His mom's not worried, his doctor's not worried, and you're worried. And so I think this is more of your problem than theirs. But I would mention to mom, who's a relative that um uh we uh we talked about a patient like this uh on our program and we just want to make sure that his family medicine doctor has checked out his testes to make sure he is making uh some male hormone because of this i don't know how you do that i don't know how you would do that without making her mad but that's the best i can do that was a toughie i did my best let's go to alabama and brian hey hey brian you there? Okay, we're we're uh, we're working on our phones, and we're gonna go be going to Port Gibson and Smith County. Let's go to Linda in Port Gibson. Hey, Linda.
4: Hi. What's happening? Yes, I was wondering uh, if um, you know, can, I mean, does pharmacist or uh, pharmacist assistant have to be licensed? In order to give you a flu shot, I know some pharmacists uh, can give you a flu shot. Can you, can
1: you uh, I don't I do, I do not me? know the answer to that question. Uh, that is one I do not know. I know that the pharmacists who give shots <clears throat> and the technicians who give shots have had special training and they have to go through a training course and get a certificate. So they're just not people off the street that start giving shots. They have to be trained and certified to do that. Now, I don't know whether there is a pharmacy assistance licensure program. Some of you people listening send us an email or give us a call and tell us about that. If not, I'll look it up and know it next week. So uh, I'm I'm really sure that the people giving those shots know what they're doing because of the required training. And I got my shot at a drugstore, so there you go. Let's go to Elizabeth in Smith County. Hey, Elizabeth. Hello. Um, What's on your problem, mind? I would,
4: uh, I would like for you to discuss just a little bit mm-hmm. Crest syndrome. Okay. I have the scleroderma and the Sjogren's and the others that go along with it. My problem is the calcium deposits in the flesh of my hand. Yes, ma'am. So,
1: yeah. there we go. Well, here's the good news. The data shows that people with the Crest variant of scleroderma usually do better than those that have the scleroderma alone. Uh, you do get this problem with really bad Renaud's phenomena. That's one of the mm-hmm. things in the crest. Uh, and the calcifications, that's in there too. And it's a variant of this condition of unknown cause in which uh, the connective tissue in your uh, skin draws up and becomes... not most women love this when it first happens because you lose your wrinkles in your face.
4: Oh, I, I've got that. <laughs> yeah,
1: but then if, as it goes on, you're not so happy about it because no. your skin can become, you know, break down on you if you're not really careful with it. Right. So And it can involve other organs in the skin. So the crest is a variant, and the things that you're seeing... Uh, including the salivary gland problems, the calcifications, mm-hmm. and so forth, are very much a marker of that. And uh, the way that we treat scleroderma, we do not have a particular uh, biologic like we do with lupus and the other connective tissue diseases, but we try to, the most important thing is to keep your blood pressure uh, in the normal range All Right. because this can damage uh, blood vessels. We put most people on ACE inhibitors, which are this special kind of blood pressure medicine that is very popular right now, and watch the urine to make sure there's no uh, protein in the urine, and the rest of it is symptomatic treatment, uh, making sure that your eyes are examined frequently and that your skin is fully moisturized to keep it from breaking down. I like CeraVe or CeraVe uh, moisturizer mm-hmm. or other moisturizers, sort of slather it on all the time to keep your skin moist. Is that what you needed?
4: Yes, but what hurts so bad is these calcium deposits mm.
1: in your in hands, tip, or where are they?
4: They're in my hands in the tips of my fingers. Uh-huh. I have one thumb that's already mm-hmm. compromised with the circulation. Um, you can see patches of it in the palm of my hand, mm-hmm. and it is very uncomfortable.
1: So it's painful.
6: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh huh. So here's what I would suggest. There, believe it or not. There are physical therapists that specialize in hands. This is a PT with Mm -hmm. a hand specialist, and they have some symptomatic treatments that they can give you for that, including some special gloves with heat in them and stuff like that. Your rheumatologist, ask your rheumatologist to refer you to a physical therapist who is a hand specialist Okay. The other person that can also be helpful is an occupational therapist, O-T-P-T, OT, PT, okay. OT. They can give you devices to help you open stuff, uh, cans and stuff like that, do your household work without activating the pain you get in the ends of those fingers. And they are very, very good at this and very okay. helpful. So that's where I would start. Uh, and if that doesn't do do it, send me an email, and I'll send you some more ideas. But that's where I have my patients start.
4: Can I ask one more question? Sure. She has suggested that I take colsacine like for the um, people who have gout. Right. What is your thought of, on that?
1: Sometimes it works. I'd give it a try, mm-hmm. and if it doesn't give work, it a- you can stop it. Okay. But I would okay. keep a record of what I'm looking at to see if it works. Like if you're looking for pain in your hand every day, I would keep a record of that. Let's go to Hattiesburg and A.J. Hey, A.J.
8: Uh, I have a question about my son. He's uh, nine years old. Um, He's a little bit overweight for his uh, age, um, and he's a basketball player, and he always complains about his knees hurting whenever we're
7: practicing.
8: Right. Uh,
1: So the most common cause of knee pain in young people – is hyperextensible joint syndrome. They have lax muscles, especially the tall, skinny ones, and simply uh, getting to a physical therapist and getting some knee exercises to tighten those up usually solves that problem. You've been listening to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo. Thanks so much for participating in the program. This is a uh, production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Thinks Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and the generous support from folks like you. NPR here and now is next on MPB Think Radio. We'll be back same time, same place next week with an endocrinology show about diabetes and thyroid. Stay tuned.
5: This forecast is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Live healthy
6: on the